morning, church. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to teach to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though if he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in his age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Thank you so much for reading, Jacob. If this is your first time at Ogletown, or maybe one of your first times here, I am so glad that you are here, particularly today, because I think this will give you a look into some really important aspects of what our spiritual DNA is as a church. Hopefully every single Sunday that's on display for you to be able to process and understand, but I think this particular text, it may be uh, understandable to you in, an, in another way maybe in a stronger way, because what is in these verses really, really drives us as a church. It really forms what we think and how we think about what should be a priority to our church. I want to set the stage. We've been talking over the last few weeks about a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Paul, who is one of the first followers of Jesus, wrote to a church in ancient Greece about 2,000 years ago. If Paul's the human author, then the divine author is God. So as we read the words as Jacob read them a moment ago, we're actually hearing God speak to us. So I always like when God's speaking, we listen in and listen up. We pay attention to what he says. I I do believe the spirit would have something to reveal to us this morning about who God is and what that should mean for our lives. As Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth, that church is not perfect because there is no perfect church. He's writing to 
address some things. There's a tendency of the part of the believers there in Corinth, and this is what we've been talking about the last several weeks. There's this tendency at the church of Corinth to be more identified with a particular leader. Like you read the name Apollos or Paul. So there was a tendency to be more identified with the leader than the body which is under the authority of King Jesus. It was was more likely for them to identify with a, a faction rather than in the message of the cross which should bring everybody together. They were more interested in like their own subgroup and kind of the, the person that was a symbol of their subgroup than they were the fact that the Holy Spirit was revealing truth to them. So Paul's been teaching and correcting, teaching and correcting, trying to set things straight. And, and this week it could all kind of, the teaching and correcting could fall under this umbrella. And that is, we belong to God. Church, we belong to God. It's wise to recognize at this point, he's not just talking to individuals, addressing so-and-so, addressing this person, but he's actually addressing all of us together. He's addressing the church collectively. And he asked this community, this church family, and I think by extension he asked us some questions in verse 5. So I hope you keep the, the Bible open. Jacob read it a moment ago, but we're going to walk through this passage. In verse 5 he asked, like, what do you suppose Apollos really is? In other words, what's his function? What do you think it is? What do you think Paul's role is? And then he quickly answers that question. He says, we are servants. That's our role. If you want to know what Apollos is doing, he's a servant. If you want to know what Paul's role, what my role is, he says, I'm a servant. And a particular kind of servant. He says, I was a servant by which you came to believe in the Lord. So you became a Christian through work that I'm doing. But ultimately, I'm a servant. What kind of a servant servant are you? And he says, I'm this kind of servant. I'm a servant that plants, and and I'm a servant that, that waters. So he says, I planted, Apollos watered. So we're going to live in the world of analogies and comparisons and metaphors. We're going to take something that we know a lot about that's really cross-cultural and apply it spiritually. And the first of those kind of analogies and comparisons is the one of farming and working in a field. And in our role as servants, we have different complementary chores. So you're assigned this, you're assigned this, you're assigned this. We're all assigned different chores. And in the end, we're servants. We're do what, we do what we're supposed to do. We do what we're told to do. Some of these chores aren't very glamorous. We aren't better than others because we've been called to certain roles. There aren't super special servants. As a matter of fact, look at verse 7. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, is anything special, is anything that's a cut above the rest. That's not the way it works. He who plants and he who waters are one, equally important for God's work. Under the authority of God, we're, we're fellow workers. We work together belonging to God. We're God's fellow workers. He uses various roles to accomplish his work. And in the end, while we are servants, God causes things to grow. God causes things to grow. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. That's because only God could do this. And this is not just here, but this is throughout Scripture. We're told that God takes his word, and as we meditate on his word, Psalm 1 says we become like a tree planted by the waters. 
and we are productive, spiritually productive. We bring, we bring out fruit in its season. God causes that growth through his word in us. It's like Isaiah 55 says, my word doesn't go out and come back empty. It accomplishes the purpose that I have. God makes things grow through his word. Even in 1 Thessalonians, another letter written to another church in ancient Greece, chapter 1, chapter 2 are all about God's causing growth in that church. So any growth we see in a church is because God is causing things to grow. So we step back and ask a few questions. When we look at this text, what belongs to God? What belongs to God here? And one way we could say it is a field or a farm. That's what verse 9 says, we are God's field. The church isn't like any other organization. It's not a club. It's not a clique. It's not a nonprofit trying to do some good things. We are a field where God goes to work. God grows things spiritually. So what is our role in this field? Our role is to be servants, or we are the the farmhands. We're the laborers that go to work in God's field. That's what the scripture is teaching. And what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is the growth of the field. So God wants to produce things spiritually. God wants to give life where there is no life. God wants to grow things. God does this, and, and that's the ultimate goal. But, but we have a role in that, but the field belongs to God. Do, we, do you see how this works together? Let's bring this into our life together as a church. If I really understand those truths, then it's going to be very humbling. It should be. It should be humbling to recognize that I'm not the one causing things to grow. Neither are you. This should cause us from like overreaching or overestimating our role, our capacity to do things. It means I'm not going to lift up others and, and, and you shouldn't lift up one person above another because it is ultimately God doing the work. We're just servants in his field. Don't be puffed up. Don't be proud. I think this is what it's telling us. But it's also telling us something else. At the same time, it's very humbling. And I recognize, okay, who am I? What am I? I'm a servant doing the role that God assigned me. But it's also very motivating and encouraging and inspiring to know God has decided in his plan to use people like us to do work, good work in his field. He's chosen you to do that. He's given you an assignment in that field. How encouraging. It's nothing like playing a role, playing a part, giving your life to something bigger. When I think about all those who volunteer on a Sunday, and it's probably in the hundreds, or volunteers sometime throughout the week, it's probably in the hundreds. You're volunteering, investing, you're working in God's field. You plant, you water, and God takes all the moments that are behind the scenes that nobody else, nobody else even recognizes. You don't get your name called, but God sees them, and God causes things to grow here. I think of all the giving that's done to our church to advance our mission. All the faithful, steady giving, all the generous, sacrificial giving for our church. When I think about it, I recognize that as a person that's deciding with a portion of their income, I'm going to plant and I'm going to water. You believe that God is doing something. God is changing lives. You're recognizing that God has a mission for our church, for our church family, and it's worth giving to advance that so that someone might come into contact with our church and our church's ministry 
And they may have never heard the gospel of Jesus, but they hear it and their life is changed and maybe their friends' lives are changed and maybe generations later, their lives are changed because you planted, you watered. Or maybe you recognize God is doing something here even even when marriages go off the rails and there's someone around here that can invest time. You recognize that God's doing something here that could change that marriage from destruction and darkness to light and hope. You plant, you water. Some of you plant and you water by praying. So a regular part of your life is praying for things related to our church family, related to things going on here. You recognize your role. And you say, God, I'm going to ask you for only what you can do. Only you can change people's lives. Only you can take just this gathering of people and cause things to grow. So I'm going to pray. And some of you even have reminders. You're faithful about this. You, you have reminders that actually prompt you to pray. So you remember to pray for a church family. That's what it means to be invested in a church community. And that's what it means to say, all this belongs to God. This is God's field. In this passage, another thing belongs to God, not just the field, but as you look at verse 9, it says, we are fellow workers, we're God's field, and we are also God's building. So what belongs to God here? A building. And by this, it's not talking like bricks and mortar and drywall. This is a spiritual building that God is building. We are, people are God's building. So what are we? What is our role in this building? What is our role? We are subcontractors. We're construction workers in this. So God is the one who is the one building something. We are God's building. But at the same time, again, work with the analogy here. We are the ones who who actually go to work as subcontractors. It says in verse 10, Paul saying this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation So that was Paul's role. And he says, someone else comes and builds on it. That's their role. But let each one take care how he builds upon it. Because what's the goal in the end? We kind of see our role, but what's the goal in the end is a building that lasts, a building that survives. As an assigned subcontractor, Paul is saying, "I I want to construct things with integrity. I want you to construct things with integrity. Let's be careful how we're building God's building. Again, not bricks and mortar, but people, what we're giving our lives to, relationships, Deep work in the lives of people. Paul says, I am a a skilled master builder. If you look at the original there, it actually brings two concepts. It brings like, I'm the chief architect and the chief engineer. So I know the plans and I know the design that needs to happen to support the plans. I bring those together. That's That's my role for this church. When it comes to building something, what really, really matters is what you're building it on and, and what you're building with. What are you resting this building on and what are the materials that you are using to build? Paul kind of expands on that analogy. He says what it is built on, this building, this people, this church. He says in verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Kind of unpacking from chapter 2 is it's not just Jesus Christ, but it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. So if we kind of widen that out, it's the Messiah, Jesus, who 
who came 2,000 years ago and what he did for us on the cross. That's the foundation that Paul is putting everything on. Think about that. The foundation is this. In the plan of God, this world was designed to be perfect under God's rule. This world is so messed up because we have messed it up. We've rebelled. We've decided we don't want God's authority. This world now is marked by sin. It needs to be restored. It needs to be remade. And God, in his love and his mercy, sent his one and only son, Jesus, as the Messiah, the hope to save the world. He came and lived a perfect, sinless life. He always did the will of God. He always did the will of God the Father. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. He always did it perfectly. And yet, and yet, he was executed. He was sentenced to death and executed by the local authorities who, frankly, thought they were doing the world a favor by getting rid of one troublemaker. What they had no concept of seeing, what we know now that they did not see, is that Jesus' death wasn't just like a, a random accident. But in God's plan, he, he takes the death of his son and forgives and pardons people that believe in him, that believe that's the way to heaven. God looks at Jesus, and Jesus takes the wrath of God against sin upon him. And by that, we go free. We have peace. We're reconciled to the Father. And those who turn and believe and trust this and turn their back on everything else, those are the ones who find forgiveness and freedom and peace. Paul says, that's the foundation I laid the church on. That's what we build on. Not the wisdom of this world, not the psychology or the sociology that seems to be winning the day, not just our own experiences, not our own subjective interpretation of our experiences, not just contemporary religious trends that we find, oh, that seems to be working today, so let's build the church on that. Paul says, that's not what I built on. I built on a simple message that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that's what he built on. But look at what he builds with. He says in verse 12, the serious business here, if anyone builds on the foundation, which is Jesus, if they build on that with gold, silver, and precious stones, or if they were to build with wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, we're going to be able to discern what's going on with the building there because there's a day that is coming capital D day, there is a day that will disclose it. It'll all be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Notice the difference in the materials. That's what stood out to me. So you've got gold, silver, and precious stones that when the heat is applied, they survive. And you got the wood, hay, and straw that when the fire comes, it's gone. It's gone in a moment. What difference in materials? Because eventually a day will come, capital D, the day. So what is the day that Paul is talking about? He uses an expression used over and over again in the Old Testament. It's a day when God will judge the world and even his own people. The day when God examines and judges human deeds and motivations, the day the justice really comes, the day the fire kind of burns away everything else and, and you really discern what someone was building their life on, what, what they were building ministry on. What's not being talked about here is 
Like fire is related to eternal salvation. If that's at risk, that's not what's being talked about. As a matter of fact, he makes sure we, we understand, no, no, you will be rescued. So we're not talking about the fate of your soul, but we are talking about the quality of your work. If you're in Christ, you will be rescued. But what, what will you have given your life to? What will last? So he asked the church, and I think we've got to ask ourselves this question regularly. What, what are we building Ogletown on, and what are we building Ogletown with? What materials, if we're subcontractors? What are we building with? What are we building on? So if you're a leader, if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're a shepherd, if you have influence in our congregation, but really I think, man, our whole church, we need to realize this. Are we building on things just to entertain consumers? Is it really, no, what we're building is a show and a spectacle. So the same goals of a concert or a circus, we just bring God into it a little bit. And that's kind of our goal. We're putting on a show. Is that what's being built? Or is it, is it mainly kind of about a crowd? So let's just like fill rooms and count and, and we'll know we're winning and losing by if we check the box and we've got a big crowd. Is that what we're building? Is what we're building a, a kind of a, a buzz, the, an inspirational talk that makes you feel a little bit better? Again, a little God thrown in there, sure. But does God seem more like a flight attendant? Could I get some more pretzels? I need a blanket. Can I get some ginger ale? Is he kind of just right there at our disposal that we just snap our finger and he comes to help? Or, or is there something different? Are we just trying to kind of amass a number of programs and activities that just entertain, give a thrill, occupy time, and keep you coming back, keep you coming back? Is that what we're doing? I think of the difference even. I, I was watching a video not, not too long ago, and it was a video of... Um, a stadium or an arena in which there were like three or four different events happening within about a 48-hour period in that same arena, like big events. And it was a time-lapse video. So you could watch as like they got ready for a concert, then they tore everything from the concert down. And then they got ready for like, I don't know, monster truck or something and put all that in. And then all that came out, all the dirt came out. And then it was like a, a hockey game. And then it was a basketball. I mean, it was all kinds of very different things. And you notice how some stuff was very, very temporary that could just be moved in a moment and some, but then the stadium stood there. Like that, that is what was standing. And they're like, okay, it, what we're giving our ministry and what we are giving our energy toward, is it something that just could be packed up in a moment or is it something solid and sturdy? See, God has so blessed our church. I, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed by that when I was walking around yesterday at uh, Serve Your Church Day. So, I'm looking as people are cleaning out buses and think, God gave us that, those resources. And I walk around this facility and I look at, at the parking lot and I look at the rooms that God has given us and I look at the playgrounds that God has given us and the space he's given us. And I think, man, these are all earthly resources. But ultimately, we're not, we're not trying to amass a bunch of earthly resources. We're using those because we believe God is building something spiritually here that could be permanent in people's lives. So I, I do have a frank question. Are you part of this building project of what God's doing? 
Are you on the job site, hard hat on, ready to go to work? Do you have an investment in this? Or are you merely a spectator that kind of looks and sees what God's doing, but you kind of go on your way? Are you invested deeply here? Because I do believe God is building things with his word, not worldly wisdom. He's building faith, not just entertaining people. He's building us to love, not just manipulate or serve ourselves. He's building us to have deep, deep roots, not quick fixes. And in the end, this is what matters. This is what matters. So we can test We can test it. Is what we're doing, what we're giving our life to, are we helping people to be ready to meet God? Are they ready to meet him? Because that is going to matter. Are are we preparing people to endure suffering? Because suffering is going to come. That will matter. That will last if we do that right and we do that well. Are we helping people make decisions with eternity in mind, not just short-term but say, I'm going to make this decision with my, my purity, my relationships, my speech, my money, with actually eternity in mind, not just a, a few moments of happiness or pleasure that I could get out of this. Or are we helping people own and overcome their own failures and their guilt and their sin and their shame? Are we helping people to be filled with hope when the world says, not much reason to be filled with hope? Are we, are we pressing people to move in love toward others, to pour their life into others? We're a field that belongs to God, and we're workers in that field. We're a building that belongs to God. We're subcontractors on this building project. But we're not just any building as a church. And I love how the last verses here, verse 16 and 17, make us aware of that. We're the temple. Do you not know? Is it a surprise to you that we are God's temple, verse 16 says, and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. So what belongs to God? Temple. What is our role? We're a part of that temple. Again, he's not talking about a physical church building. The yous in here, you are the temple. That's plural, that's all of us. Not individually, you are the temple. Not in this passage. It's all of us. We collectively, as we gather, are that temple. That temple, the sacred space where you meet God for communion and worship and obedience. I wonder where their minds in Corinth would have gone when they heard the word temple. I think for those that were Gentiles, they would think, man, I pass all kinds of temples to this God and this goddess, and I see all these temples all over. And what would it have meant for God to say, the one true living God says, you are my temple. What about the Jews in that congregation? Where do you think their mind would go when Paul says, you're the temple? They would go to Jerusalem. Where, where generation after generation had offered sacrifices. And now God says, it's not this localized space in Palestine. But it is where communities like ours meet. You're the temple. This is the place where God resides. This is a place where praise and worship are offered to God. So what's the goal for temples? The goal for temple is that it be holy, that it be sacred space. God wants the temple holy. It blows my mind. God has chosen to be present in this world through communities of human beings like ours. God's chosen to put his residence here. He says that temple ought to be holy. So when you have teaching that is false, that's contrary to the truth, 
we search the scripture again and again because we're set apart for God and his purposes. We want the temple to be holy, so we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have time or tolerance for moral compromise to, to destroy God's temple. So that's why we pursue life, we pursue purity, because this is God's temple. We treat each other with love and respect. This is God's temple. There's no harmful relationships that ought to be allowed to fester. This is God's temple. We're holy, we're marked out. And by the way, if we really believe that God was present in a special way when his people are gathered... I know God's everywhere. I understand that. But there's something the way Scripture talks about when God's people are gathered, He is with them in a very, very present way that's unlike anything just in our own times with the Lord. If we really believed we'd gather with other believers and we come together as the temple, then I think it would move way up on our priority list to say, I get to be where, where God resides? Well, of course I want to be with God's people. The Spirit of God's going to manifest himself here? Of course I want to make that a priority. Of course this isn't just one more thing to do on a Sunday if I have some time. This goes high at the list of, I want to meet with God and I want his Spirit to be present and I know he's present with his people. We've been given so much. 1 Corinthians 3 says this, no one should boast in men. You shouldn't think, well, you know, I, I, I have a polis. I have Paul. No, no. You actually have everything. All things are yours. The world, life, death, present, future, all are yours. Not playing games, trying to hoard as much as you can. No, no. Everything's yours. You own the board. But in the end, you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's what it says. In the end, we belong to our Messiah, Jesus. We belong to him. One way we show this is when we get baptized. That certainly shows I belong to him. I'm taking his name. I'm putting myself under his lordship. But another way we show that we are his is through the Lord's Supper. When we take this supper, and I recognize not everybody is a believer, not everybody's a Christian, but for those who are Christians... I certainly invite you to take this. As you take this, you are saying something profound. You're saying, I am his. That means if there is known sin here, we need to confess it and forsake it because his temple is holy and we are his. When we take the bread, we say, this is a body broken for me. And because of the work of Jesus, I belong to him. When we say the blood, we say this. When we take the cup, we say, this is blood shed for me. Because of the work of Jesus, I belong to him. And we aren't saying this alone, individually. We're actually saying it collectively as a group. We aren't just doing this alone. We're doing it together. Because uh, together, I, I recognize some of you have walked in and you are, feel very weak today. And so there are those around the Lord's Supper that are going to take the bread and the juice who are weak. But there's others who are strong. There's some that are very, very happy with where life is. And there's some that are deeply grieving today of where life is. And we come to the table together. 
We say we belong to God. There are those that are young and there are those that are old. There are new believers and then there are people that have walked with the Lord a long time. There are people that life right now is a real struggle and there are others that life is thriving. And what we'll do is we'll come to the same place and we'll come to the same table and we'll take the same bread and the same cup and say, we belong to the Lord, all of us. Can I ask the Lord's prayer even as we prepare? The band's going to lead us in a song in just a moment, and that'll give you some time to reflect on the deep love of the Lord, to confess sin as needed. But I want to pray that God would use this time to prepare our hearts, that we would know maybe even more deeply the love of the Lord and feel more strongly that we belong to him. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for your kindness in opening our eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is, and we believe We believe you're present with us. We believe you are here to show grace and mercy. We believe if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them. We believe that you care for us and we can cast our care on you. We believe that you will keep us till the very end. We believe that no one can pluck us out of your hand. We believe that your love was tangibly demonstrated on the cross. And nothing can separate us from that. So may, Lord, may you use this time to help us reflect that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We belong to you. Do good work even in this time. Amen.